escape to the metaverse But act like you know, yeah You are now tuned in to the Matthew and Rizzle show, yeah uh, Escape to the metaverse Better act like you know, yeah You are now tuned in to the Matthew and Rizzle show, yeah Okay, Al, welcome to the Matthew and Rizzle show. Hey, really happy to be here. Yeah. And well, we got a, a taste of what's going on at Koi Network last week at the Whip for all of our listeners, but I'm really excited to go deep this week uh, together with Rizzle into all things Koi Network. But to get started, I'm actually really curious about yourself and sort of what you were doing pre-crypto, what led you into the crypto and NFT space. Uh, and ultimately, uh, what led you to founding Coin Network? Sure. Um, well, I always wanted to do something really big. Uh, I kind of saw technology as this way to improve the world and, you know, get rewarded for improving the world, but mainly to be able to make a really big impact and then be able to leverage like lots of people using that technology to make it even bigger. Um, and I started out looking at robotics and renewable energy. Um, I got into robotics for a while and kind of realized that a lot of the people that are working in that industry are using it more to kind of uh, put people in smaller boxes instead of to make the boxes bigger and um, kind of didn't really want to stay around that. So I got into the kind of world of the web. And as I was looking at the world of the web, I saw that there was a lot of biased content online. I was really looking for a way to make things where it was more transparent, uh, especially like I moved to the States in 2015. So I got there right before the whole thing with Trump happened. Uh, which was kind of crazy for a lot of people. And there's a lot of like on both sides of the political spectrum, a lot of crazy stuff getting said and a lot of stuff that was really inaccurate going around online. And I was just looking for one way to kind of keep an unbiased account of all that stuff. Um, and so that got me really interested in Ethereum and the DAOs and all that stuff. I spent the last five years or so working for one of the co-founders of Ethereum teaching about blockchain and crypto and writing a lot of educational content. Um, we teach blockchain.org. And uh, that kind of led to the point of Koi, which is like we realized that it was really, really hard for people to build this stuff and that a lot of the tech that was out there wasn't scalable. So we built something that's uh, easy to use and also highly scalable. So then for the folks sort of in, uh, I guess, your elevator pitch, like explain what Koi Network is and, and what problem it's trying to solve. So we're solving two really big problems. The first one is um, making stuff that scales that you can actually build like highly scalable dApps. Um, and the way that we do that is that instead of using uh, all of our smart contracts on like a blockchain, like Ethereum or one of these other ones does, our smart contracts execute in the storage layer. Um, and each smart contract has its own computational team and its own group of nodes that kind of take care of that. It's very similar to like ICP or something like that. The other thing that we've done that's really cool is we move the incentive structure around a lot. So if you look at most compute networks, the the actual value all accrues to the node operators who already have a lot of tokens. So it creates a pretty exclusionary system. Um, so what we're doing with Koi is to actually give out the newly created tokens each day to content creators. So whoever is the most popular person in the network each day gets all the points. 
So it's like a, basically a daily democracy vote where, you know, we're giving out a certain amount of voting power in the network to the people who are really turning heads and getting the attention of our audience. So dude, I'm, I'm looking at your website now. And, and by the way, I think it's like a really, really cool concept. Uh, I'm trying to figure out like who it's, it says create, publish and earn. Like who would you say is like your target demographic of creators or like, you know, who would you envision having the most success or are you like, uh, you know, really trying to cast a wide net or, you know, who, who do you see being like, you know, your power users? So, so far we've really focused on the NFT creators and collectors that are out there. Um, a lot of people who want to publish things as NFTs, but maybe don't want to take them right into a marketplace initially. Like they just want things to be on the blockchain so that they're stored there and create that art. Um, so for that audience, our, our Finny wallet is like a drag and drop tool, literally like three clicks, you're creating an NFT and it's basically free, like less than a 10th of a penny. Um, no gas costs, nothing like that. That is just the beginning though. Really the thing that we're hoping to do is to take that toolkit that we've built and that wallet technology, which now like almost 9,000 users are using our wallet um, and give that as a stack to a bunch of developers who can then build on top of that and create social media or things like YouTube or Spotify or Twitter or anything like that, but where all the content is in NFT and owned by the users. So, I mean, I, I guess the big, question challenge that something like koi needs to solve is the network effect that something like ethereum is sort of already set up when it comes to dap creators users um just like the whole financial spectrum uh, and now increasingly creators so how is koi trying to attack that <laughs> crazy ass problem yeah adoption's a really tricky thing um i spent the last like four years really focused on the education side of this space because that is really the trick for adoption is you have to first explain it to people and get them excited about it. Um, so the main thing that we're doing with Finney is trying to make it a really user-focused wallet where the user experience is really simple. And the goal there is that it becomes kind of the one-stop shop for all of these blockchains. So we're adding Ethereum keys this week and we'll have a, a bridge dropping so that you can move your NFTs off of uh, Arweave and onto Ethereum from using the same Koi wallet. So for a user, it won't really feel that different. Um, but the cool thing there is that means we're also compatible with all of the MetaMask apps that are out there. So like every single Ethereum app will be compatible with Finney out of the door because um, we've just built it that way. And similarly, uh, we're now working on integrating with a whole bunch of the Arweave ecosystem. Um, but our end goal is to just kind of be that really simple wrapper for people so that they can interact with all of these decentralized networks really simple, in like one really easy to use package. Um, and then just taking that, making it something that's accessible to developers. So ideally, for any of the developers that are already in the space, um, we're probably going to be saving them a lot of time. That's really the goal. Uh, all of our contracts are also written in JavaScript, so it should really lower the barrier to adoption. Okay, dude, <laughs> help me out, man. I'm still trying to figure out like exactly who who uses this uh, or who's like best suited for this? I'm like, if I'm an existing NFT creator who is like, you know, doing fairly well for myself on mainnet or, or wherever, like, is there, is there a good reason for me to participate in this network? And like on the other side of the coin, it, like the way I'm seeing it and correct me if I'm wrong, is this, this seems like a great like gateway to NFTs for people who like want to sort of dip their toe in the water with like minimal risk, but, you know, perhaps someone who's more established would not necessarily like have as strong of a use case for this, uh, you know, just in terms of like a ground level user or, or, you know, am I, am I on point here or am I way off? Um, I think it depends on what you're trying to do with it. Right. Uh, if you're only posting a couple of 
uh, NFTs here and there, and you're already using something like Foundation or OpenSea with a fairly large following, then you know definitely you can keep using those platforms. Um, the people we're targeting are more like people who want to self-publish. Um, so we have a feature now as well, like you can create a custom collection. Um, and on your custom collection page, it has a tip jar so people can tip you. Um, it also has the ability for people to buy your art directly from you. Um, and so a lot of these features will allow people to hopefully um, kind of bypass some of the gatekeepers that have started to emerge in the crypto space. Um, and so really our goal is to create like a self-publishing platform, like almost like WordPress, so that it's just trivially easy for people to go direct if they want to. And then you, you're talking about the fact that the more creators create, the more of, I guess, the the governance token or, or the 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 tokens they'll accrue the more power within the network they'll accrue essentially so it sounds like yeah. it, it's this alternative to instead of just like earning more money for selling things like on on ethereum they're actually gaining more of a say in in how the blockchain and how the how the ultimate underlying blockchain works is that sort of like also the underlying drive is self-published yeah, exactly. and then determine the future there's, there's also a lot of people that we've talked to who um like they're artists for the sake of creating art and sharing it with people. So they're actually less interested in selling it right away. Like they almost want to display it for a while and kind of start showing it to people first. Mm-hmm. And so for what, for what we're doing, um, it, what it allows them to do is they can, instead of lazy minting where they don't actually register to the blockchain, they can mint it upfront immediately, put it on the blockchain permanently. And now it's published forever and it's uncensorable. Um, and then they start earning koi tokens every time someone looks at it. So there's some people on our leaderboard right now that have earned like several thousand koi for, posting their content into the network. Um, and we're hoping that that will continue uh, with the goal being that, you know, ideally within you know 10 years, we've handed over probably 50% of the ownership of the network to content creators. And then I mean, just, I'm, I'm curious about this part too. So creators accrue Koi token, how do they actually participate in the governance or like how, how does that work or the, the consensus mechanism? You're describing it a little bit earlier as storage based consensus how does the koi token relate to that aspect how do creators actually use their koi tech token for that sort of like governance so you can think of koi as like a like a network of smart contracts on different blockchains so right now we're on our weave and ethereum Uh, we're adding a few more and then the idea is that these koi tokens allow you to engage with all of those contracts so that's that is the it's the token of exchange that allows all of these things to coordinate their behavior Um, what that means if you have Koi tokens and you want to vote is that your voting activity in any of these chains on any of these kind of DAO contracts can be controlled using the Koi token. Um, initially, what that means is that within our core contract on our weave, you have voting power and you can also run a node and start earning Koi tokens for completing Koi tasks. Um, most of our contracts are not sequenced by our proprietary consensus. They're actually sequenced on chain by whichever chain the smart contracts being processed on. So if we do them on our weave, uh, they go through our weave's consensus model. If we do them on Ethereum, they go through Ethereum's consensus model. Um, but what we've implemented for gradual consensus allows us to run kind of a task architecture with coin nodes on top of this that coordinates these different chains and different contracts. Um, and so the coin token is basically your voucher to say like, this person is trustworthy and now they're allowed to participate in the proof of stake network. But we want to make it really easy for lots of people to join because you know mostly proof of stake is very centralized. So we wanted to give out the tokens in a way that you know basically we're trying to bring in the coolest people that we can find on the internet. Yeah, and then and so, sorry, oh, yeah. go ahead, man. No, keep going, dude. 
No, it's just like, okay. So, I mean, that, that seems like the play, right? I, I assume like if someone with like sizable social media following, you know, starts creating content and just, you know, it's a, I, I guess once you get set up on Koi, it's mostly like, can you drive traffic to Koi? And then you're hoping that, you know, the Koi ecosystem sort of starts self-driving traffic to itself or, or already like sort of is if, if I'm like uh, understanding properly. Uh, dude, I'm so curious to know like what's, you know, you said you got a few power users who are like doing pretty well. I'm just interested to know like what is cool right now on Koi? Like what are people most interested in checking out at the top of the charts right now? Um, so unfortunately, boobs did make it to the top briefly. Uh, we have an <laughs> NSFW filter now, so that's kind of even things out. And there's, it's basically just a matter of uh, people submitting all kinds of stuff that has hooked people. So for a while, the thumbnail view actually drove a lot of it. So depending on what your thumbnail looked like in a small version, people would click on it more or less. So we found certain things hooked people more. Um, and now we kind of have a, it seems like mostly memes, uh, a lot of decent art, some really cool photography stuff. I saw one guy uploaded a, a video, like an HD video of a mosquito eating a housefly the other day, which is just like absolutely crazy. Um, there's all kinds of stuff popping up in there. And a lot of it, like oh. it, it, the cool thing is that some of the traffic's coming from inside the coin network, which we can see because those proofs of real traffic come from wallets that we know about. Um, and then there's some traffic coming from outside the network. And I think probably about like 40% is coming from outside of the existing wallets right now. So those are new people that are coming in every day. Um, and then there's like a decent group of people inside, but the, the real goal here is that like over time, uh, we have a decentralized, transparent way to see who all these people are that are viewing all these. And they're all pseudonymous wallets. So it's not like you're ever going to have your privacy compromised. But it does mean that, you know, over time, if somebody is um, really engaged in the network and they're participating a lot, like they're leaving a lot of comments, their attention is worth more, which is kind of cool. So it gives us like a, a barometer for taste making, uh, which we can then calibrate over time to make it more and more fair for the end users. So... Just scrolling here, and I'm seeing some familiar faces like um, D. Klein or, or Darren Klein, who I, I've collected a lot. He's also making art on Coin Network. Um, for for collectors, where is the portal to collect work that's been minted on Coin Network? Is that is that something that the end user will see like on OpenSea, um, where like where do we need to go to actually collect the art? minted on coin network so the artist's personal collection pages are probably going to be the number one thing um after that though we're, we're also with these bridges allowing people to list on any marketplace they want so you'll probably start to see these things popping up everywhere um really our goal is to make it easy for people to sell direct if they want to and then make it even easier for them to list to kind of get noticed elsewhere um the Koi leaderboard does have a buy now button. So if you click through any of the links there, they all will actually take you into Verto's exchange. And Verto is a, a native exchange on the Arweave blockchain that allows you to trade our NFTs. 90% um, sure that that's all working really well right now. It is all kind of proprietary. We're going to launch our own uh, internal buying and selling features pretty soon, though. So that'll make it really easy to do it within the Koi network as well. Yeah, I feel like the big the big catch or i don't know if that's the right word but like the big attraction to me personally is the ability to sort of like host it here and then have the option to then mint that nft you know sort of take that to whatever blockchain you like or feel is uh most advantageous uh 
apologies if you mentioned it early earlier man which ones do you mostly plan on which ones are you using or are you know implemented now and which ones are you planning to implement over the long haul as far as bridges and that kind of thing yes got it um so it kind of comes down to where like where the audience wants it to go um we're going to publish the bridge format uh so that it'll be an open standard and it should be really easy for people to build their own and we're probably going to offer grants so like you know even if our core team wasn't working on it and there was a group of people who wanted it to happen we could probably give them a grant to make that possible um at the moment we are working on let's see ethereum avalanche tezos polka dot and binance smart chain uh and maybe huobi smart chain though i don't know if we've delved into that too far at the moment the, the trick is that at the moment, it depends on which wallets we have. So uh, with Finney, right now we have Arweave. We're adding Ethereum this week. And then that will open up all of the EVM compatible chains. So we'll probably tackle all of those first, and then we'll start to expand from there. Yeah, the thing that's really exciting about Koi is just this. It's sort of like um, this interface for artists to, like you said, create Mint and then potentially sell or interact on any of these other uh, blockchains, right? Um, it's almost like a, a WordPress plugin in that sense to Web3 is sort of like how I'm starting to, to think about it or frame it. Um, is that yeah, we really see it as an yeah. on-ramp. That's, that's been the goal from day one. Um, we actually, our original version of this was a, uh, a web scraping tool. So the, the first thing that we did was actually with the Koi uh, the Koi task framework, we designed that so that Koi nodes could do web scraping to pull all the content out of web two and put it into web three. Um, and that the idea there was basically that if you paid to scrape your own website using Koi, you could pay a bunch of Koi nodes to just gradually grab all the content off your website. We would archive mm -hmm. them into web three for you so they couldn't be censored. Um, and then you'd start earning attention rewards if your site was popular. So kind of like decentralized Google analytics sort of thing. That's actually, that's actually all still operational. Uh, it's called Storecat, which is getstorecat.com. Um, we should be launching uh, some demos and early prototypes of that in the next couple of weeks. Oh, who do you, like at this point in the whole NFT ecosystem, man, it's so hard to keep track of like all the different things that are going on out there. Uh, do you, and you don't necessarily have to name names, man, but do you see yourselves as having a lot of competitors out there? And uh, if, if so, I would be interested to know like what you feel like differentiates yourselves from them. And if not, uh, also sort of the same question, man, I, I'm just sort of curious, like what you feel really sets you apart from what everyone else is doing, because, I, you know, I think this is sort of like the name of the game moving forward, right? Just sort of like create these, you know, blockchain based incentive based, you know, social media platforms to sort of, you know, reinvent the old system that uh you know it seems like you know left a bad taste in your mouth as well man uh so yeah i'm just interested to know are there a lot of other people who are like exploring this territory um and yeah just sort of your thoughts on that so we frequently get um i wouldn't say accused but sometimes people say that we're biting off more than we can chew because there's so many different things we're trying to accomplish at the same time um i think that's probably what differentiates us at this point is we're trying to provide a single framework that solves all of these problems. So we want to make it really easy for developers to build new applications in JavaScript that run on decentralized technology without you know, centralizing on API keys. Because if you look at the market right now, there's a lot of people that make it really easy to build with blockchain, but they've got some kind of central API that goes through AWS or something like that. That's not very good. That's not really a good solution. It doesn't really achieve the goal that we're aiming at. Um, so we really wanted to make it simple for developers. The second thing from there is that to make it simple for developers, the number one thing that developers are going to struggle with with this technology is onboarding end users. 
And so we wanted to make it really, really easy for them. So that's why we launched the Finney Wallet. Um, that's been really well absorbed by the community. In the last, I think, four weeks, we've gotten almost 9,000 downloads. So that's happening constantly. Uh, it's just like growing that user community, educating them about what this technology is so that they're ready to go and explain it to other people when they start those communities. Because um, it's not just the first wave of users, it's actually the second wave that learn from the first wave. That's the hard part. So really trying to build that comprehensive architecture so that it makes it really easy for people to launch products and get them out there. Um, the third thing that I will say that we're very differentiated on is I think in the entire crypto space right now, we're the only creator first economy. Um, and that gets noticed by our community. So when people are actually choosing to use Koi for things, a lot of the reason is because they feel like ideologically we are aligned towards this idea of actually decentralizing control and not just creating a decentralized world that's owned by a bunch of node operators because that wouldn't really solve the problem either, right? Dude, I agree, man. I, I'm glad that there are people like yourself like exploring this territory because that's sort of how I got into the space as well, man, with this sort of like you know, ethos that we're trying to, you know, level the playing field and, you know, extend the same opportunities to everybody. So, uh, dude, I commend you for like the really, really big vision. I can see why that would like take some heat, uh, in terms of, you know, the scope of what you're trying to accomplish. But, uh, I feel like community goes a long way, man. Uh, 9,000 wallets is a lot of downloads. Uh, you know, I, I would assume you run into situation. I mean, the, the first thing that crossed my mind, I'm like, dude, there's got to be people like just downloading, you know, one wallet on every single device that they have, uh, you know, to sort, sort of like scrape coins or something like that. Have you run into like a lot of like, you know, either botting situations or people trying to like manipulate the system? And, and I... I would guess anytime you're trying to create like a proper incentive based economy like that, you're, you know, almost going to be playing whack-a-mole with people trying to, you know, manipulate the system. I think whack-a-mole is a good way to put it. Um, we, when I worked at ShareSale, which is an affiliate marketing network, um, we, we were playing whack-a-mole there too, though. So that's kind of just how these ad networks operate. Um, Google does this as well. Like every ad network in the world right now is constantly dealing with spam prevention. I think the thing that makes Koi different on this front, though, is that we have um, kind of the benefit of all of their failures for the last 30 years. So when we come into this, uh, kind of the defaults for spam prevention are things that they've invented for us. So like proof of work actually comes from um, an email spam prevention algorithm. Like that's where that technology came from way back at like the 80s. Um, and so that all of these things are already there for us, which makes it really simple. So like we've had... I think like five DDoS attacks in the last two months since this kind of started to ramp up. Um, and we've taken all of the, the false user data out of the final numbers that you see on the site. So like what you're seeing is actually like the real number of people. Um, but we've basically had to, on a number of occasions, have like new spam prevention technology that we rolled out overnight. So like me and a team of engineers were up until one o'clock in the morning trying to figure out what was going on. And then we rolled out a new version and then it fixed the problem the next day. And then we kind of keep rolling it forward. Um, so each time that we do that, though, the network gets significantly stronger, which is really exciting because that means that not only are we producing something that is usable and that is exciting for all these people, but it is actually getting progressively more advanced uh, just by virtue of trying to survive. I'm curious, like if we kind of fast forward two to three years, which is like 20 or 30 years in crypto time, um, where do you see Coin Network and the, the greater Web3 space um, if everything that you're doing right now uh, kind of starts to pan out more, you get more users, um, more creators are creating uh, on top of Koi. Where does that, what does that future look like in, in two to three years? Well, so the name of the game is unfortunately not decentralizing the data storage. It's actually the access to that content. 
Um, so the big scary thing in the near future is that like the CCP and a number of other countries are going to basically just lock off sections of the internet and make them impossible to access. Um, if that happens, this decentralization stuff doesn't make a huge difference. So one of the things I'm really excited about is the possibility of decentralized VPNs. Um, I think that that is rapidly uh, progressing as a technology stack that has just kind of quietly been in the background. And what that's going to mean is that people can basically privately access any content on the entire internet, um, which is a mind-blowingly exciting concept because that means that for the first time, like everyone in the world will have access the way that the rest of us do. Um, the very exciting thing on top of that, though, is this idea that you can then own all of this content that anyone can access. And so that's why we call them atomic NFTs, uh, because the concept of atomic is really like this fundamental element at the core of everything. And that's that's what this should be, is ultimately the internet is all of this content and information out there that's been contributed by all of these people for the last 30 years. You know, And now we have a chance to start saying, you know, when somebody publishes something, they own that thing. And it's their property that they've created. Um, and I think that's probably... It's going to be one of those things where once that starts to be possible, then it's going to be really uh, non-negotiable for people because like, why would you use a site that doesn't respect your property rights? It just seems kind of weird, right? hundred percent. Okay. So I feel like that starts to, to really clarify what you are. It's not just making the, the internet writ large immutable. It's, it's really taking and understanding what NFTs are doing up until this point and, and using that as a key core primitive or like atomic unit of the internet heading forward that making these individual elements ownable um, pieces of content ownable, et cetera. Um, is that sort of like a fair summation of what, what you're, what you're trying to do? Yeah. I think it's the concept of ownership plus the concept of censorship prevention mm -hmm. is the key. Cause it means that we actually have this truly free speech network then. Because if the internet gets to the point where anybody can publish anything immediately and then they get credit for it, then now we have basically a decentralized knowledge commons, which is very, very cool. We've never had that before as a species. Never had anything even close to it, actually. Dude, I, I love where your head is at, man. And as someone who has given this a lot of thought, I'm curious to hear like your take on how close or far we are to that vision uh you know of, you know decentralization and what the biggest hurdles are in the short term to getting to that point i think the adoption is still going to be the big thing um it's all education right like there's so many people in the world today that don't even really understand how facebook works or what the issues are there um and so a lot of what we spend our time on is just explaining like the drawbacks of centralized platforms, which I think are quickly becoming apparent. You know, there's um, in practically any country around the world, Koi operates now in like almost 12 countries. Um, in every single jurisdiction where we're talking to people, they're saying the same thing, which is that all of these centralized platforms are making them feel small and unheard and like they don't have any control. And I think COVID like really pushed that over the edge. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are looking for this message. And the question is, how do we get it in front of them quickly enough so that they can actually understand what's going on? And in as many languages as possible. So like we're working on translations in uh, six languages right now. So in terms of like decentralizing the like web two and converting web two to web three, for someone that like has a website, you're talking about that, the process of sort of like converting their website or making their website, minting their website, almost scraping all the websites, putting it into like web three storage. Um, how, how does hosting and, and all of that work? Like is everything truly uncensorable or is there some 
Yeah. Like, what, is there any vector in which someone's work may still be able uh, to be censored in some shape or fashion? Um, so there's a few ways to look at that problem. One of them is the replication side of it. So with Ethereum, uh, Swarm was kind of like the first proposal for this kind of technology. Um, IPFS kind of stemmed out of that one. And then there was a handful of other ones that have now spawned like Filecoin and Arweave and all these. Um, they all ran on the model initially of pay to store. So you would pay a certain amount to store a file for a period of time. Um, that model, I think, has now been eclipsed by Arweave because Arweave does pay to store or pay once store permanently. So you're paying a very small fee to store it forever. Um, and that's because of their unique consensus algorithm that they've created, um, where they basically require each node to be able to find a certain kind of structure of data within the whole data structure in order to mine the next block and incentivizes all the nodes to hold on to as much of the data as possible. So I think it's very real that if uh, Arweave is successful in what they're doing, which I think they're very close to being successful at this point, they're as close as Ethereum or anybody else's, um, then they will have created a permanent data structure that cannot be censored. Um, and I think that's really the trick. Like they've created the incentive model there. So what we're trying to do is to find ways to operationalize that and make it easier for people to tap into that power. So from that permanent data structure, though, like you still need to go somewhere to view it, right? Um, you have to have that URL. You're relying on DNS for folks to kind of like be able to find it and view it. How, how is Coin Network helping users and creators to create that sort of interface? Or is that something that's totally uh, irrelevant sure. at this point? Yeah. No, so that's actually, that's a really interesting point. Um, the Coin node will replicate uh, it, it will replicate rather any information related to tasks that it's currently participating in. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, when you play the attention game with your core node, it will cache all of the top NFTs by default and it makes them more accessible to people. Um, so part of what we're doing is trying to cache all this information on all these different devices so that there is a backup copy so that it is more accessible. Um, and that's why I'm excited about the idea of decentralized VPNs and things like that, because then it makes the data that's on those nodes more accessible. Um, so one example of this would be uh, the artist Kevin Abosh uh, collaborated with us to put a NFT into a museum in London that contains the entire history of the Apple Daily website from Hong Kong, uh, which was recently shut down by the Chinese government for, uh, they called it, uh, I think, what's the proper word for that? Treason. Uh, they shut down <laughs> this newspaper for treason, which, you know, newspapers often commit treason in my experience. That's, uh, they're very commonly guilty of such things. Um, these guys, I think, were some of the larger proponents of the Winnie the Pooh joke. So Xi Jinping doesn't like them very much. Um, so anyways, he shut down their newspaper. So we took all the content from that website and put it onto a thumb drive. And then Kevin submitted that into a museum in London um, as an art project. And so that now it's stored in this museum. Um, and if, you know, if the Chinese government ever, ever gets out of control, you can take this thumb drive out of this museum exhibit, plug it into a computer, it'll spin up a coin node, and it'll start hosting all of this content from this website, um, which means that now it's back and you can't take it down. Um, and some other nodes will then start to replicate it because it's something that's supposed to be on Arweave. So even if all of the Arweave nodes have gone down or they've all lost this piece of content, this one thumb drive has a copy and it just has to get plugged into a computer to start running. Oh my God, dude, this is such a refreshing podcast. <laughs> it's like, yes, someone who's really like, you know, thinking about how to disrupt all the things out there and like use this technology to like, you know, forward the, the case of humanity. And uh, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come easy. Dude, when you look at the crypto and NFT landscape, uh, curious to hear like, 
what projects are you know outside of your own like uh and i we usually shake down people for their like specific nft wallets which i would also be curious to hear of yours like what you know if any you collect on the side or anything but uh bigger vision man like what crypto nft types of projects are going on that you either like how they get down or you're a fan of or you know what what do you like to see out there um that's an interesting question. I think on the infrastructure side, things like uh, Mimblewimble, I found really interesting. So anytime that somebody is trying to find better ways to make more data immutable is very cool. Um, so compression tricks, that kind of thing. The, the other side of the space though, that's very exciting to me at the moment is what people are doing from the standpoint of um, like making all of this stuff more exciting for people. Um, so a lot of the gamification and like the, the 3D worlds that's out there, I think that's really the, that's gonna be one of the biggest potentials for crypto. Um, kind of for the same reason that like any new technology takes hold, a lot of the time it has to do with finding a small niche where a lot of people can get together and do something. And so what the metaverse means is that now all of us weird crypto nerds can, instead of sitting in our own living rooms alone, we can sit in our living rooms in a virtual world together and hang out and have a coffee and talk about this stuff. Um, which that, that's pretty cool. I don't know. That seems like the real breeding ground for a lot of the innovation that's going to come next. Yeah, when you brought up the virtual worlds and after talking about what Quay Network is doing in terms of having nodes to host the the data that is then immutable, it almost, because I like to think about a lot of the, the virtual worlds almost and the individual parcels as 3D websites, like the metaverse and these virtual worlds specifically within the metaverse, depending how you define it, sort of becomes that new home for the data sets that you're helping to to make permanent and immutable so I, I feel like there's definitely a couple pieces of the puzzle that are independent of one another right now um coin network some of these virtual uh metaverse worlds etc um that when you kind of bring them and string them to closer together begin to kind of create this more clear picture of the future that's similar to what's existing today, but also very different, obviously, fundamentally, um, and how folks can interact with it and, and what it actually is. So that's all extremely fascinating and really interesting to think about. Um, and you had touched on this earlier, and this is sort of like the last question I'm going to uh, leave before we start to wrap up. But you had mentioned how humanity really hasn't had this ability to rely on this global uh, immutable source of kind of truth out there that folks can, can't can suppress and have the ability to kind of uh, infinitely spin up different nodes to, to access uh, different data. Like what, what, is the, what does this all mean for humanity? Should all of the pieces be able to come together in a, in a way that the whole world really is able to access and use? Well, so the capstone of all of this is the index. Um, and so Google currently owns the index of the internet. They have the private copy and it's inside of a database that nobody else has access to. Um, you can hit it through their APIs and you can use it to search the web using their search pages and that kind of thing. But you have to pay them if you want to use it in bulk and they'll never give all that data away. What this means though, is it means that we can now categorize the amount of attention that all this content is receiving as well as who created it. And we know who's giving the attention and we know what they're looking at. So we start to get this open map that's very similar to the one that Google has, but it's not locked away in a database that nobody else has access to. Um, and if we can actually create that and we can make it transparent, then now we actually have a map of all of human knowledge um, that anybody can navigate through 
and we can start to make tools that make it easier and more efficient for people to navigate. And that's going to unleash a new level of innovation that I don't think we can even really get our heads around right now. Um, if you combine that level of like access to information with the level of AI development that's coming out now, I mean, if you wait five years with AI, it's you know it's a thousand x difference, right? Because they're basically teaching themselves. That's what the algorithms do. So probably five years from now, AI will have thousand x. And we will have a transparent, open graph of all of human knowledge. So that means anybody in their living room can then take a new AI algorithm, train it across all that knowledge, and get it to do something unique that probably could be arguably better than human creativity at some point. So we're going to start solving problems that we haven't even seen yet. And we're going to start finding problems that are well beyond anything that we can even imagine. I love that. Dude, I had no idea I was such a huge fan of yours, man. I, I honestly... <laughs> So seriously, dude, I, I really, I feel like not a lot of people are like thinking in this direction. I don't know, man, Al, maybe you hang out with more of these people than I do, but uh, I'd be almost, you strike me as someone who like, in terms of like, if you're an NFT collector would uh, be horrified at some of the ridiculous and pointless things in my wallet <laughs> when you're thinking oh, it never so far beyond me. everything. Maybe not, man. Uh, curious to know, do you collect on the side, man? Do you, do you hold any NFTs? Are you, uh, you know, just uh, having fun out there uh, as well? I, I have a few little uh, random ones that I've picked up over the years, like literally just random kind of animations and stuff that I got that were really cheap. Um, I haven't actually had like most of the last 10 years, pretty much all of my money went into projects that I was investing my own money in. Um, so I haven't had much money kicking around to invest in this kind of stuff for a while, but uh, you know, starting to explore it a little bit now. Uh, very excited about it though. I think the, the cool thing about this stuff is it's kind of like collectibles. So like I have a bunch of little knickknacks on my desk. Like I have a little Buddha that my dad brought back from India when I was five. And like, I've had that thing for probably 15, no, I guess 23 years. I've had this little Buddha. Um, and I think these NFTs are going to be kind of like that. Like they're going to rattle around in my wallet forever. And then like 10 years from now, I'm going to look at this thing and be like, wow, I've been through so much of my life with this little picture of this little gnome, you know? Yeah. Well, well said, man. I agree hundred percent. I think you're preaching to the choir, but, uh, I do think that's the direction things are headed. And, uh, I mean, my, my kid's got a wallet, you know, he's, he's eight years old and, you know, we'll grow up with this stuff. So it's, it's, uh, fascinating to think about. Um, it's cool, man. I'm glad you're accumulating. That's that's how I feel like everyone starts, man. You just sort of, you know, acquire things along the way, and then you just sort of take them with you. It's, it's awesome, man. Yeah, exactly. Except this time, I don't have to worry about losing them because they're going to be in my crypto wallet. Uh, exactly. No, that's right. It's crazy to be able to travel around the world and and still have your crypto wallet with the, the digital objects and items that you've collected right there and ready for you wherever you land. Even if you forget your your device, as long as you're able to um, recall your wallet using your seed phrase or something like that. It's just like the craziest feeling in the entire world like, that you have that power um, for digital objects and currency. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's especially cool because hopefully they will just be there forever, even after we're lost. So like, I might lose this little Buddha collectible that I have, but if my NFTs are in my wallet, they're going to be in my personal gallery probably forever. Um, so it might just be around for my grandchildren to look at, which is pretty cool. Cool. But before we do wrap up, I just want to make sure that we hit the folks with all the websites, all the social handles that they need to be following for all the updates uh, from you and Koi Network. So let folks know where they should be looking for updates uh, and if there's any special dates uh, in the near term that they should be marking their calendars for. 
Sure thing. Uh, so public sale is coming up really soon. Uh, stay tuned for that. Best way to keep in touch is to follow us on Twitter. And if you get onto the whitelist there, we'll make sure that you get priority access. Um, we are also doing a giveaway with you guys through Gleam. So I think if you sign up for the giveaway campaign and then follow us on Twitter, you get free Koi, which is kind of a bonus. I think we're also giving away like 500 USDT for a lucky door prize winner from the podcast. Um, I think in order to get into that, you also have to install the Finny wallet, but that's great because once you install the Finny wallet and create an NFT, you'll start earning more Koi tokens. Um, so basically you do a bunch of steps and we give you a bunch of Koi tokens because you're audience are awesome people and we want them to be part of our network. So uh, if anybody wants to join Koi, the wallet's free, all the tools are free. Uh, and in fact, you will earn a bunch of Koi tokens for checking it out. The website to check out is koi.network, K-O-I-I.network. And uh, the Gleam campaign, I think you guys are going to tweet out later. Yep. We'll, we'll tweet out. And then when we release the podcast, it'll be in the show notes for everyone to click through. Everyone that went to the WIP last Thursday uh, got early access to it. To, to fill everything out. So if you already filled it out, don't worry, you will be eligible. Uh, and with that, I just want to thank you, Al, for taking the time once again uh, to speak with us and, and really deep dive into everything that you're building out today with Koi Network, uh, but really kind of painting that picture of, of where you see Koi Network and what you see Koi Network building out uh, for the future uh, of the world. Uh, which again, like I, I was mind blown. I, we could audibly hear Rizzle's mind getting blown and kind of like <laughs> falling in love with it. Uh, yeah, love it. Love yeah it. So, so thank you so much, man. And just keep on building what you're building. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, thanks for all the great questions. And, you know, hopefully we'll get together at a conference sometime once COVID all blows over. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Great talking to you. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you, man.